Well, parents, how many of you are excited that school is back? Okay. Uh, Some parents are like that. They are rejoicing like when the yellow school bus pulled up. It was like heaven to them. And they were like, take our little angels and get them out of here. You know? Other parents are stressed about school. If you've got a kindergartner, you're letting them go for the first time. And, you know, even big burly dads have a tendency to cry as they kind of go in the room. Uh, there was a mom this week that said I was one of those moms that came in and kept going back like looking. <laughs> Can you imagine looking, you know, from the window to see if their child was okay? Um, and then schedule changes and you have uh, drop off and pick up and... Now there are school activities, and uh, other parents, they're really mourning uh, the fact that they're not going to have as much time with their kids uh, this summer. Some students are all excited, ready to go to school. I was talking to a friend of ours. Uh, The daughter got him up the day before at 5.30 in the morning. It's time to go to school. It wasn't the right day. Um, That was a kindergartner, by the way. Uh, other kids dread school like the plague. They're like, seriously, do we have to do this? Um, but this is always a time that there is some additional stress. And I want to talk about that a little bit later of how we might have some principles to help our families when we uh, go through difficult times. Now, this past uh, summer, we've been looking at a book called Ephesians. And it's a whole book that deals with beliefs and belief systems. The uh, first three chapters uh, discuss doctrine or belief systems, what Christians believe. And uh, we explained how the love and the power and grace of Jesus is available, that God's love is available and his forgiveness is available to everyone. It doesn't exclude anyone. And then the second three chapters in Ephesians talks about what do we do with that, and how do we respond, and how do we live out our lives. Now, there's a very specific uh, portion of this uh, book that's at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 that deals with the family. And I would encourage you to uh, read that this week. Write it down maybe in your notes, and then Go back and read it and then take the notes that we're going to take today about family and it will kind of give you some of the roles uh, of family and um, how we can thrive uh, even in the midst of difficulty. Now, I really believe that if you, if you take some of these principles that we're going to talk about today and you live them out in your homes, that your homes, that your homes can actually become Places where hope never dies. Now, this past Thursday, I got up and uh, I turned on the television. I was watching CNN. And I only watched it for about 10 minutes because I found myself getting really depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. There's this war that's going on between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and there are missiles being fired and hundreds of people being killed and 
people not having food or shelter. And then the next story was ISIS is in Iraq and there are 200,000 Christians that are fleeing for their lives and other small sects that are going up to mountains to try to find safety. And there's mass killings and this ISIS group is looking for a sense of genocide. And there's the Ebola virus that's taking place in Western Africa and hundreds, thousands of people dying and a couple of American workers were brought back in these suits and we saw this all over the television and I'm, I'm watching all of that and all of a sudden within my heart I'm like, Lord, are you even here? Like, are you here? And then this morning, when we shared communion, and I saw these people going to different tables, husbands and wives, single moms, people whose lives, everything's going great, people who's having hurt and pain and struggles, and they're going to these tables, and they're sensing the presence of God, that Christ is there to welcome them home. A guy came up to me and said for 16 years he had gone to a church before and he had never felt welcomed enough to go to the table. And it was like it was like this moment that hit me that I was welcomed at the table. 16 years, think about that. And then you're welcomed at the table. And in the midst of all of that, when I saw that happening, I was like, Jesus is here. The world may be in chaos and all kinds of things going on, but Jesus is present and His church is growing and it is well and things are good. So I want to give you a word of encouragement this morning. And I want you to look at me here, folks. Look at me. Every family, every relationship, every marriage has problems. Let's all say that together. Problems. No, don't say it like that. Say it like that. Like, you know, like it's a real problem. You ever, you ever notice a person's voice sometimes? It doesn't really say the word that they're saying. We're having problems, but everything is not so bad. No, let's do it again. Problems. Yeah. Isn't that encouraging? I tried to give you some encouragement today. And you know what? I'm so sick and tired of these authors that have like seven steps to a healthy family. Seven steps to the perfect marriage. Seven steps to do this. Seven steps to do that. I want to take some of those people, tie them up, put them on the back of my car and take them out to the parking lot and just kind of drive them around on the ground until they finally say and admit, I lied. Jesus came for imperfect people. And I'm so tired of people being discouraged and sitting on the sidelines and thinking that they have no reason for living and they're living in despair because they think that God is mad at them. If you walked in today and you have a sense that God is this being that's way up there and he's mad and he's angry at you, you need to fire that God. Because that's not the God of the Bible. 
Maybe today you're walking here and you've lost your job or you're struggling financially or life has kind of backed you up into a corner. And you think that you've done something wrong. You haven't done something wrong. You just have problems. How many of you would say today that I have struggles in my family or in my life? Okay. Now, those, there are two types of people. Uh, people who just raise their hand and then liars. You know what Jesus said? He's just getting ready to die. He's just getting ready to leave the earth. And he gets his disciples, his followers together. And this is what he says. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And then I think he was kind of like this, like I did earlier. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Jesus is telling his disciples, look at me, look at me. And then he says, in this world, you will have trouble. How many of you can raise your hand to say that you're in this world? (laughs) So much better. Like everyone raised it. Good. You know, transparency here. But he didn't leave it there. And I'm sure at that point, he stops and he pauses. He says, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. And all the disciples are looking around each other like, man, that's a bummer. I mean, great. He's going to die and leave us. We're stuck in this Roman world where everyone hates us. And now he's telling us we're going to have more trouble. But then Jesus gives some good news. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Not one clap. This is what surprises me with you people. You can watch the Colts who played Thursday, who did not play well, and they got beat. And you yell at the television and you clap and you say all kinds of stuff. And then I just tell you that Jesus came to tell you that there will be trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world and not a single clap. (laughs) Same thing with the first celebration today. People were like that. And I finally got to a point in the teaching where I said something really stupid and they all started clapping. I'm like, don't clap for stupid stuff. Clap for that kind of stuff. Like we need to create a more uh, celebratory environment. And if I have to get you to do that, you're not clapping for me. We're clapping for what Jesus came to do. It should bring joy. I mean, this is much better news than the cult. Now it's confession time. My marriage is not perfect. There, it's out. Okay, it's out. It's out. I, oh yeah, look at that. There's always one in the crowd, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I have, uh, I've been married for 20 years. Now, see, that's something to clap for, you know. 
I've been married for 20 years, and so uh, Jennifer and I, we renewed our vows a couple weeks ago. Here's a picture of us. And uh, the reason we did that was because our youngest daughter came to us two months ago with tears in her eyes and said, Mommy and Daddy, Jordan has been a flower girl for five weddings, and I haven't been a flower girl. So we had to spend all this money so she could be a flower girl. (laughs) Then my oldest daughter wasn't satisfied. She says, well, if she's the flower girl, what am I going to be? I'm like, come here, kid. I'll tell you what you're going to be. No, I'm just So she was the bridesmaid, and that was our day. Now, still, my marriage is not perfect. In fact, our marriage has conflict. Any good marriage, any good family, any good relationship is not the absence of conflict. A good marriage, a good family, a good relationship is simply using the love and power of Christ to learn how you can make it through conflict together. Jennifer and I have conflict. We have disagreements. And it's actually getting worse. You know why? Because of those two. Some people call them angels. You don't live with them, though. (laughs) I'll never forget a time I was talking, I was being very transparent about my marriage. And it was at a small little country church. And this little old lady came up. She goes, I'm so sorry to hear about your marriage. My husband and I were married for 63 years. And we never had an argument. We never had a crossword. And she's standing there. And in my head, I didn't say it out loud. I just go, what a liar. And then my mouth did open. And I said this. Well, you never learned the fun of makeup love, did you? And all of a sudden, her eyes got like real big like this. like. And I thought to myself, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, you know. <laughs> Jesus saves the world. No clap. Makeup love, hallelujah, celebrations abound, you know. You guys are messed up. I mean, you are really messed up. Folks, if you are married and you never argue, you know who you're married to? A carrot. Not a human being. Now, recently, my wife Jennifer started a new job, and uh, we were grateful that God opened the job for us, and it gives us a lot more flexibility and more family time for her. But uh, the problem is now, all she wants to do is talk. I mean, before, you know, we would get home, we're both exhausted, we're both worn out. You get there, you turn the TV on, and you watch television. But now we 
get there and we get ready to start watching television and she wants to talk. And then she told me the other day, could you just share your feelings about your day? (laughs) Women, look at me. We don't have feelings. We have a remote. And we're good with that. So last week, because we had a little bit more time and we were ending the summer, we went on vacation and we took our family to Arkansas for vacation. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, Arkansas? Seriously? That's, well, we're a weird family. But you have a weird pastor then, I guess. So. And we drove to Arkansas. It took us 11 hours. And you know when you've been in a car and a van for a long period of time, that all of a sudden it, there's some smells that start to like filter in the air. Now, I asked permission for this, so Jen said it was okay. So if you don't like this illustration, tell her, okay? So... Jen was on this gluten-free diet. You know, everyone, you're more healthy if you're not doing whatever you're doing. And so that's what she's not doing. So she's gluten-free. And, uh, but for vacation, she decided that she was going to go off of that because it'd be easier for our family. And when that happens, your stomach kind of changes with what can happen. So we're driving along and all of a sudden, I'm like, And Jennifer's over on the other side. She's just texting away, smiling, (laughs) texting friends, you know. And I just kind of looked at her. I'm like, really? And she's like, what? And I'm thinking in my head at at that time, you stink. And then all of a sudden it came to me. She wants me to share my feelings. That's a feeling. And so I look at her and I go, you stink. And she goes, that's not me. I thought, liar. And then from the back seat, our our youngest daughter, Shiloh, shouts out, who pooped? And this time I didn't filter my feeling, I said, it was either you or your sister. You guys stink. <laughs> Men have a way of sharing our feelings differently. It's usually blaming someone else, to be honest. Well, we drove a little further, and all of a sudden, we learned that they were fertilizing all of the fields outside. And so Jen's like looking at me. And so I apologized, and she forgave me, and she's like, it's not the first time you didn't accuse me of something. We're off the hook. Everybody's off the hook. So then she decides, well, we need to, I don't know what was she was thinking. She decides we should explain to the girls why it smells. So she begins this big, long diatribe. Girls, the reason that no one pooped is because there is a thing called fertilizer. 
that is outside in the fields. And they spray this. They get, uh, you know, uh, stuff from animals that they leave. And they grind it all up and they put it together and they put it out on the field. And then it helps our vegetables grow. And then my oldest daughter, Jordan, yells out, You mean there's been poop in our corn all the time? And at that point, I'm driving and I'm cracking up so much. The car's like going back and forth. They're on the side. She's laughing. I'm laughing. There's like, you're laughing so hard, there's like stuff shooting out of your nose. You know what I mean? We're like trying to get everything cleaned up and we're just cracking up. Folks, our marriage is far from perfect. And so is our family. But we learned a long time ago that with Christ in the center, that Jen and I can learn to laugh about things. And we work hard at communicating and listening to each other with respect. Now, for the rest of our, of our time, I want to share with you three biblical principles on how you can not simply survive when difficulties come into your family, but how you can actually thrive. And here's the first principle. It's this. It is to demonstrate God's love with action. If you want to thrive in the face of difficulty, then you demonstrate God's love with action. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just words. Love is action. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. But God demonstrated His own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God proves Himself. That love is much more than just words. Aren't you glad that He didn't communicate to us about His love in a text or a tweet or on Facebook? Folks, God actually came in the flesh and He suffered and died. That's what we remembered today. And He did it as an action to prove His love. It was a proof test of His love for you. And not only that, but He looks at us then as followers of Him who are following Him that He wants us to, that He's telling us that we should go and love other people the same way. If you want your family to live in a place where hope never dies, then you've got to put your love in action. Jesus also, right before he is getting ready to die, in John 13, verse 34, he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, I want you to know that one of the hardest places for you to express your faith and to express your love is in your home. And do you know why? Because the people that love you the most can hurt you the most. People that love you can hurt you deeply. A stranger can't hurt you, but people you love can hurt you deeply. 
And so that's why we have a tendency to kind of self-protect. We don't want to put things out there because we fear we're going to be rejected or ridiculed. And God says, no, 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 it's just the opposite. Jesus was rejected by men and women. He was mocked by them. What we experience here this morning, people are still mocking Christ's followers for. And yet the same people that shook their fists at him and said, crucify him, those same people, he reached out and he said, I forgive them and I love them. And he longs to love and forgive all people even today. You know, one of the things that's uh, interesting on Sunday mornings is that I'm the only person that has this view during the teaching. And what's interesting to me is that I'll watch couples, they'll sit beside each other and I'll begin the teaching and they're kind of just sitting like this. And then not too long, you'll see them maybe touch hands. And maybe they'll hold hands. Then every once in a while, the guy will make the big move, you know, kind of go back like this. Put his arm around and kind of snuggle up to each other. And so I'm the only one that gets to see this. Well, a few years ago when the gym was actually the other way, we moved it this way because of growth, but when it was the other way, uh, it was back in this corner. I remember I was teaching there and I was looking back and all of a sudden there's like this couple. They are making out. And I thought, am I seeing that correctly? And so then I look a little bit more and like they are at it, you know. And so afterwards, I went up to one of our hospitality uh, leaders. and I said, hey, did you notice like they were making out? They're like, yes. And they do it every single week. I mean, when you come to God, folks, he draws us together. Now, I know there are some students that are here this morning that are like, making out is a God thing? Hey, maybe I can pass that off with my parents, you know. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul begins this whole thing about family. And he begins it with one statement. Ephesians 5.21. Let's read this out loud together. Submit to one another. See, you didn't really say that with much encouragement. So let's say it again. Submit to one another. It goes totally against our norm. And what he does then is he begins this whole family section that way. Then he talks about the role of husbands, the role of wives, the role of parents, the role of kids. I'm not going to get into all of that today. But the one thing I want to touch on is that when Paul begins... His biggest kind of summary of how Christian family should live, he begins by saying, submit to one another. Don't just think of yourself. Submit to one another. Men, it is an act of love. That regardless of how she wants the toilet seat, just do it. If she wants it up, leave it up. If she wants it down, she wants it down. If she wants the lid closed, close the lid. Now, you're not going to find toilet seat in the Bible. There's no Greek interpretation there that says, toilet seat, put it down. 
If someone in the house likes the toothpaste, kind of rolled one way and tied off or done a different way or however it is, do it that way. I never knew this until about three months ago. You know, there's the, there's the toilet bowl roll that you put the toilet paper on and then you take it off. And you ever get to the point in your family where you get it all done and instead of like getting rid of it, you just put a new one on top? Oh, like some of you are like, oh, no, we don't do that in our family. Well, Jennifer told me, she said, you've never done that for me. Could you just do that for me? Because she wants to talk all the time now, you know. And, and I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And so for the last couple months, man, every single time, I'm the one. And so now I'm like, could you do it for me, you know. Teenagers. Do you want to know how you can love your parents? Clean up your room! I mean, you're not going to go to jail you, if you don't clean up your room. You're not going to become a serial killer. But it will delight your mom. It will delight your dad. If one day they don't see rats and roaches coming out there with their suitcases saying, We can't live in this place anymore. I mean, what better way as a follower of Christ, as a teenager, than to wake up in the morning and say, okay, what is something that I could do to delight my mom? Second principle. To help your family thrive in the midst of difficulty, you've got to demonstrate the love of God with words. You've got to demonstrate the love of God With words. Say the words, I love you. No, not to me. To to each other. Just say it real quick. If you came with somebody. If you didn't, don't be weird, you know. (laughs) There's probably some single guy right now that's like, hey, hey. I love you. Some girl's like, I'm never going back to the jar right again. (laughs) Well, why do we say these words? Because words are important. And why? Because Jesus did. Just before he gets ready to leave earth, he's getting ready to go to the cross and be killed. He says these words. Let's read it out loud together. I love you just as the Father loves me. Remain in my love. Say the words. Why? Because words are important. A few weeks ago, I was sharing with you about our kids' camp. We had some of the kids come up, came up and they sang, and uh, it was really, really cool. And I got all the statistics when I got back from vacation. And we actually grew our kids' camp from last year by 50%. I mean, Stephanie Bollinger, who oversees our... Uh, a kids ministry. She's doing a great job and so many of you helped to volunteer and you did wonderful and uh, we thank our volunteers. We'll have more opportunities for you to do that. But for me, the biggest moment came on, uh, and I shared this with you, was the, the day or the night that uh, kids had an opportunity to accept Christ. And I was in this room and 
They asked the kids, if you would like Jesus to be in your heart, if you would like him to be Lord of your life, then you can go to the hallway and there's someone there that's going to pray for you. And I just thought there'd be a couple of kids, you know. I had a group of eight. And pretty soon it was like kid after kid after kid after kid. And last year we had 12 kids. This year we had 23 kids that accepted Christ. And uh, just little kid after little kid, they come out there. And these little kids go into this hallway And they had to repeat some words of how they were going to express that they wanted Jesus in their heart. And they said, I love you, Jesus. I want you to be in my heart. I I accept you into my heart today. And I snuck out and I heard these words and I like start crying, you know. And I get my little uh, camera out off of my phone and it's shaking and the pictures didn't come back very well. But Stephanie, who's got it much more together than I do... Uh, went and she took a picture, and here they are, all these kids, just lined up against this hallway. And I was thinking, man, that is a picture of God's love being demonstrated, of little kids saying, I'm giving my life to you. And volunteers afterwards, they walked back in the room and They put their arms around them. They were giving them high fives. They were like, way to go. Good job. Uh, We're for you. I'm proud of you. And these words of love just were all over the place. Folks, we cannot survive without words of love. We need to hear the words. My kids are at an age right now where my tank is like full because I get those words all the time. I walk into the house and immediately they run to me and they're like, oh, we love you, Daddy. We missed you. And I'm like, I love you. Now, we have friends who have teenagers. Jen and I are kind of weird this way. We had kids later in life, but all of our friends that we uh, kind of had life experience with, they had kids very early in life and they have teenagers now. And I've taken note of some of the responses when their mom or dad will say, hey, I love you. This is what I've heard from teenagers. What? Yeah, me too. Me too. Whatever. I saw that one time. I mean, a mom came up and said, hey, hey, kiddo, you know what? I love you. Whatever. I mean, it wasn't like she said you're grounded. It wasn't like they were taking the car away. Just whatever. One time I saw this dad come up and he goes, and he did it nice, he did it real quiet, said, hey, I love you. And, and the teenager goes, dad, be quiet. <laughs> now, students, just because your parents look old, they can't hear anymore, and they have bad breath, they're still human. And every once in a while, mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, they just need to hear the words, I love you. So students, take the time. And this is the reason why. And I want you to track me. Several years ago, I officiated at a funeral of a woman that I didn't know. And at this particular funeral home, they have a room that's kind of connected to the main room. And the pastor waits in there until uh, the funeral director comes and escorts you into the main room. And I was standing there. And all of a sudden, I was looking at the time, and we were running late, and the funeral director came in, and he said, "Uh, Pastor, I I want to apologize, but one of the sons is really having a hard time with the death of his mom. 
And so we're going to take a few more minutes. And they had this monitor that's in this room that they could see what's going on so they know when to do everything. I'm looking at the monitor, and I see this man almost inside the casket with his hands around his mom. And I'm looking at this monitor in this little tiny room, and I notice that the funeral director walks across, and he stands for a little bit, and he waits for this man who I think he was like in his 30s. And eventually he just kind of had to physically kind of move him off the casket and got him seated. The funeral director came back, and he said, we're ready now. And so I walked with him, and we're just getting ready to cross the casket. The casket's over here. We're getting ready to cross it. And the man runs over to the casket. He gets inside the casket. He goes, Mommy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And for five minutes, this grown man is doing this. And pretty soon, some of the other family came and physically pulled him off. And they took him out of that room into another room. And I thought to myself, man, that is so weird. I wonder what happened. So after the funeral was over, I went up and I was talking to one of the relatives. And I said, hey, I noticed, you know, the, the son was having some trouble. What, what's the problem? This is what they told me. They said he left his mother's house when he was a teenager. And he had not seen her or spoken to her or said, I love you, for 20 years. And when he got to the funeral, it was too late. Folks, I don't know what's going to happen to my life tomorrow. You don't know about your life tomorrow. But this is what I do know. You can share words of love today. I mean, for some of you, between now and next Sunday, if there's stuff in your family, there's people in your family that you need to say those words to. Husbands, you need to say it to your wives. Wives, say it to your husbands. Parents, say it to your kids. Kids, say it to your parents. For some of you, I wouldn't walk to get in my car unless I knew today, hey, you know what? I want them to know that. I love you. Now, these words aren't going to solve everything in your family home. You're still going to have problems. But it's a demonstration of God's love. You know, this book, right here sometimes gets a a bad rap because a lot of times uh, people who claim to be Christians kind of beat people over the head with it or they try to judge them or make them feel bad. And and the reality, though, is, is that this book, folks, is not a rule book. It's a love letter. And from the very first page to the maps at the end, it's a love letter where God is simply opening up page after page after page. I love you. I love you. I know you messed up. I know you screwed up. You know what? I still love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Just all the way through it. 
Without love, folks, there is no life. And Jesus is our example. And he says, he said it to his disciples. He says, I love you. So say the words because it can be life changing. One final principle to thrive as a family in the face of difficulty is that you demonstrate the love of God by trusting Him. You demonstrate the love of God by trusting Him. Totally trusting in Him. Now what do I mean by this? It means that if you have your hope in things that can take care of you, don't because things can be taken away. And if you show to your family that it's about things, you are setting yourself up and your family up for despair and discouragement. I mean, the greatest thing that you could ever do for your family is to place your trust in God above all other things in your life. I mean, if there's anything that this past decade should have taught us is that you should not feel assured that your things are going to be there. I have a mentor of mine named Terry. Great guy. He's really encouraged me a lot. Prays for me daily. In the first half of his work life, he was a a teacher. In the second half of his work life, he became a pastor. Impacted tons of lives, did amazing things. He was a faithful man. He was financially set for life. And just before he was getting ready to retire, the market shifted big time and he lost half of everything in his life that he had accumulated. Half of it in one day, totally gone. Then on top of that, he was diagnosed with melanoma So he couldn't even work anymore to wait for things to recover. And so he had to retire. And now his wife and he are living on very meager means. Folks, things can leave you overnight. And guess what? You can't take them with you. But you can leave a legacy that is greater than any financial portfolio you could ever establish. You can leave a legacy that can help your children and your grandchildren face difficulties in life. That when they go through difficulties, they actually come out on the other side praising God and rejoicing in Him because they've learned that there is a hope that never dies. I never met my grandfather on my mom's side. He died 13 years before uh, I was born. But he was a follower of Christ. And one day he sat down his three children and he shared with them about this place where hope never dies. During his life, he lost his wife at the age of 35 to cancer. And immediately then he became a single parent of three kids, and six months after that, his oldest son died in a car accident. But even in the midst of all of those circumstances, he continued to teach his children about a place where hope never dies. And one of the two remaining kids was my mom. 
And my mom bent her knee to Christ one day. And even though she lost her mom at age 9, and she lost her brother at age 10, and then she lost her dad at the age of 21, you cannot stop that woman from sharing God's love with other people. When, uh, if you're new here today, if you see an old lady come up and give you a hug, she's not crazy. She's my mom. And we've had to actually try to calm her down a little bit. And sometimes we'll go into stores and we'll look around and all of a sudden you're like, where's mom? And, you know, my dad's like, well, it wasn't my time to watch her. I thought it was your time. You know, we're looking around. We can't find her anywhere. And she'll have like someone over in a corner, like sharing the love of Jesus with them. And then she passed it on to me. And now I'm trying to pass it on to my daughters. This past week, my eyes kind of got distracted of what I need to have hope in. I got back from vacation, and any of you who've ever left your job before and you come back that first day, you know, it's like everything just hit the fan. All kinds of issues and situations and staff things and people hurting and relationships being fractured and people in the hospital and accidents. And all of a sudden the anxiety just started getting heavy on me. And then my parents called and they said, hey, by the way, we've uh, put some earnest money down on a, on a condo and we're moving to Muncie. We need your help. And so we started figuring out like, you know, Okay, how can we help with the set, uh, the closing costs, and where we're going to sit down with the bank, and how we're going to get the ha- the uh, condo staged where they live now, and all this kind of stuff. And then Jen, whose job is is much more family friendly for us, still this week she had uh, three shifts in four days, twelve hour shifts in four days, and so I had to take care of the girls a lot. And I woke up Thursday morning and I watched CNN and then, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, this is just horrible. And I was overwhelmed. I was behind on the teaching for this week. And Thursday night I'm trying to put the girls to bed as quickly as I can. And uh, we always have a devotion and then we pray. And then I always say these three things. I love you. You have a beautiful body. And if I had to line up all the little girls in the world, I'd choose you number one to be my daughter. But just before I got ready to get to that spill, and I was hoping to do it really fast so I could work a little bit more, my oldest daughter, Jordan, looked up to me and she said, Daddy, you're my best. You're my best buddy. I love you. And all of a sudden, it was kind of like, well, I got a little bit of hope. So I'm like, this is great. I'm going to go into Shiloh's room. And I go into Shiloh's room, and we do the whole thing. And I get ready to, you know, do my little spill again. I'm feeling better about it. And she stops me, and she goes, Dad, I just love you second best. (laughs) And the hope meter just, like, started going down. I'm like, man, I'm not even number one in my own house. You know what I mean? But then she said this. I love God and Jesus. Number one. 
and you're second best. And through this little five-year-old's words, it hit me. I had taken my eyes off of Christ and I was trying to do everything in my power. And all of a sudden, when I needed hope the most, it came through a little five-year-old that said, you can have the power of Christ, Daddy. And hope was renewed in my life on Thursday night. Because in Him, hope never dies. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Paul, the same guy who wrote Ephesians, he's in jail. He's just more than likely been beaten. He's got wounds and and bruises, and this is what he says. He's sitting in prison, and he says this. "Who, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or financial troubles, or I lost my house, or I lost my job, or I lost a loved one, or I got bad health news. And then he goes on, As it is written, for your sake, Lord, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, in Paul's day, folks, Christians were lined up and they were stoned and killed and sacrificed like sheep to a slaughter or deer season that is all out. And Paul says, then what can separate us? Anything? He goes, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Are you getting the idea that he's meaning like a lot of stuff? Like whatever your stuff is, it's included in that. That nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, that's something to clap about. And so I want to challenge you. Two challenges. If you're sitting there today and you don't know personally the love of Christ, And if you've never taken the step to be baptized, it's only a few steps to that conference room, and you can make that decision today. Lunch is provided. Child care is provided. There's no excuses. It looks like it's going to rain this afternoon. The NFL is not on. I don't know why you would leave, honestly. We're going to be done by 1.30. And you'll be done. But you will have made a decision that is the greatest decision of your life. And all of a sudden you'll have a power flow that gives you hope even when it feels like you're dying. There's no better time than today for you to say, Lord, I'm going to place my trust in you. And then on the 24th, when we celebrate the baptism, we'll go, there's a hope that never dies. Second challenge. If you do know the love of Christ, every single person, when they walked in today, they should have received a card that looks like this. If you didn't get one, just hold your hand. One of our 
uh, greeters will get that for you. But ever since the, the beginning of the jar, we've used these cards to simply demonstrate love to other people. And I want to challenge you this week that you would take this card and that you would do something for a coworker or a neighbor or a total stranger, the server who serves you, your kid's teacher. You want to get in good with them? Do something nice. And as you do this, what you're doing is you're really sharing a hope that never dies. I was talking to a guy who's going to get baptized, uh, and uh, I had to meet with him this week because he's not going to be here today. And he took the next steps class, and he said they gave this, this card, and they said, just try it this week. And so he went to McDonald's, and he's driving, and he looks behind him, and there's a mom, and he sees one head in the back of a little kid. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And so he said, hey, I'd like to pay for mine, and I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And they said, okay. And then she said, okay, and so you want a Big Mac, and you want a number four, and you want a number five, and two kids' meals. And she goes on and on and on. And pretty soon she goes, it's 2732. It's like, I I don't know if I want to do this baptism thing. Is it going to cost me that much? And so he goes up and he pays, and then he looks in his rearview mirror, and there are three little heads that pop up. In the back seat. And they started honking the horn. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what that guy did? He simply gave them a hope. That there is a love. That never dies. And so what could you do this week? Well there are different things that you could do. First of all. You could take a co-worker out to eat. You could uh, buy coffee for the person behind you. If it's Starbucks, you might have to take a loan out and just give them half a cup, you know. Uh, Pay for the person behind you at the drive-thru like that guy did. Take a bag of popcorn to a neighbor. Get your child's teacher a gift certificate. Offer to babysit for a neighbor or a co-worker. Make up your own act of kindness. But just commit to saying, I'm going to do something that demonstrates God's love. It doesn't have to cost money even. Because we really do believe in this place that small things done with great love will change the world. And I don't want to be just a world watcher. I want to be a world changer. And I want you to be a world changer in your families and in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods and in your schools and in our community. As we Go out as an army that shares a hope that never dies. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. Uh, Justin and Pam, they'll come up and they'll be here to to pray for any of you. If you would like prayer for anything, so they're going to come up. And we're going to just close in prayer. So uh, please stand and uh, we'll pray. God, none of us are perfect. And we all have problems. And sometimes, God, when hard things happen, it's hard for us to know how to love each other. But God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, 
who showed us how to love. God, would you stir in the hearts of people right now who maybe have never accepted you or ever been baptized before, that today they would say, today's the day. Whatever schedule things I have to change around, today's the day. And they could receive your love and then make a commitment to love you. Help all of this week, God, to demonstrate your love in practical ways to the people that we come into contact with. Help us get out of our comfort zones and to show love. Teach us how to love completely and help us to be convicted to do some small thing with great love. And we believe, God, that as we do this, we join you in changing the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name.